SBS live streams and podcasts are supported by advertising. Why do people want to be at work? To feel heard, appreciated, part of something, and to know there's a career path for everyone. Inclusive workplaces are linked to increased innovation, productivity, and employee satisfaction. Make your organization a place where people want to be. For inclusion and diversity training, visit inclusion-program.com.au. Enjoy more stories in your language by visiting sbs.com.au. Welcome to the final episode of the Noir Here This podcast with me, Johan Gabrielsson. Over the series, we have showcased some of the best writers and met the talented people behind the popular TV shows that have made Nordic Noir an international success story. Our final episode is devoted to Sweden and Norway. A bit later we meet Norway's answer to Stig Larsson, but first let me present you with a scenario. Imagine you're a successful writer who one day receives a phone call from a publisher asking you to take over the writings of a series of books after the creator of the first three editions passes away. The Swedish newspaper will call you a traitor. There will be a witch hunt against you. Are you ready for the job? The dead author was Stig Larsson. His Millennium series was one of the biggest successes of the Nordic Noir genre. The books, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Girl Who Played with Fire and The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest had caused a sensation around the world, not least for the book's main character the leather-dressed, no-nonsense Lisbeth Salander. The man offered the job of taking over from Larsson was David Lagerkrantz. But before we bring him in, let's first meet one of the most intriguing characters that ever came out of Nordic Noir, Lisbeth Salander. This is an excerpt from The Girl in the Spider's Web. The scene is Salander's empty apartment in the middle of Stockholm. First and foremost, she was on the hunt, and had been ever since she woke up in the light of early dawn. With her dream of that fist beating rhythmically, relentlessly on a mattress in Ludegarten. The enemies were hiding behind smoke screens, and this could be the reason why Salander had been unusually difficult and awkward of late. It was as if a new darkness emanated from her. Apart from a large, loudmouth boxing coach called Abins, and two or three lovers of both sexes, she saw hardly anyone. More than ever, she looked like trouble. Her hair was straggly, her eyes threatening, and even though she sometimes made an effort, she had not become any more fluent at small talk. 
David Lagerkrans was already a well-established writer when he got the call to continue Stig Larsson's Millennium series. His previous books about the mathematician Alan Turing had sold to 15 countries. His book about the football star Zlatan Ambromovic was the fastest-selling book in Swedish history. The Girl in the Spider's Web, his continuation of Larsson's series, received consistent positive reviews around the world. But how did he feel that fateful day? He received the call from Stig Larsson's publisher. I think I felt uh, some sort of a fever. I wrote this book about Zlatan Ibrahimovic, which was a, a huge success in Sweden. And after that, you know, all kinds of people come to me and ask me if I will write this and this book. And But maybe I was spoiled, so I sort of just yawned. But then, you know, they smuggled me in the basement at Norstedt's publishing house and asked me if I wanted to write the fourth book in the Millennium series, and I, I couldn't say no. So people have asked me many times, but I didn't hesitate, you know, a second. And, <laughs> and then I walked home, you know, thinking about it all the time, and woke up four in the morning next day. And, and there was never a hesitation. You must have been aware that when that news spread, it was going to be a lot of discussions. Yeah, but maybe I was just stupid in the beginning because I just had enthusiasm about the book. But, but of course, after a while, I understood <laughs> that this could create an uproar. And then I felt fear, I think, for a while. But I think it was a good fear because that fear made me write better because I, I understood that I had to. I'm curious, how did you go about it, David? I had his three books. I read them over and over. And, you know, and taking notes and thinking about the characters. And when I sort of had them in my veins, you know, I had to start to figure out a good story. Because Stig Larsson was the master of this complex intrigue. So I understand I had good stories. I was thinking about that day and night. And then I started. And, 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 and of course, I had a lot of problems. You know, even though I, I thought I understood Lisbeth Salander. Uh, I didn't have the code to write her. I had to struggle, you know, to find her, to, to make her come alive. How did you find her? I think I find her, you know, in the beginning, I, I put too much emotion in her. But, but, but she isn't the girl who, who is suited with too much innocence. So I understood I had to find the right scenes for her when she's sort of the underdog striking back. So I think that was the magic moment when I found the, the Lisbeth Salander's scene and drama. Was there any particular scene or any particular characteristic that you thought that maybe this is also taking her into the future, into the fourth book? I mean, I understood from the beginning, you know, that I had to develop her. I mean, like all icons, you know, all mystical characters, they had to develop So I had to be trustful to his universe, but I had to put something in, in it myself. And I understood that I, that I had to answer questions about her that we didn't know. For example, why is she such a great hacker? Why does she have the handle Wasp? And now in this fifth book, I answer the question why she has the dragon tattoo on her back. So I sort of thought the best way to, to deepen her character, deepen her myth was to go back and, and dig even more in her horrible childhood. How close yeah. were you, if ever, with your hand on the phone, calling the publisher and saying, <laughs> no, I, I can't do it? 
No, no, it was never. No, it wasn't an option. It wasn't an option. You know, I had my crisis, of course, as I think you should have as a writer, because if you don't have them, I mean, you don't have the, the real motivation. So I have my downs, but most of the time I was in a sort of a manic state because I know this was important. But, you know, it was hard, of course, because I'm sensitive. Uh, so it was hard when there was such an uproar in Sweden, because when the book was released, you know, we had the war in Syria. We had, you know, big political news. But I was top of the news all over. You know, it was an absolutely crazy situation. I was I saw my face, you know, all over this bloody, you know, broadsheets and, and everything. So it was quite tough. It was. But have you ever experienced that, anything like that before? No, no, never, never. I don't think any writer actually has <laughs> experienced something like that. I mean, normally you, you write a book and you find yourself at the cultural pages or something. But my book were, you know, all over the news. So <laughs> that was hard. But a great thing was, you know, there was such an uproar. But then it shifted. The first reviews in Sweden said that this was probably the worst book written ever, you know, because they had sort of blood, you know, they were longing for blood. But then there were reviews coming in from The Guardian, New York Times, Le Monde, you know, all over the world. That was great. And so suddenly and slowly <laughs> it shifted. And, and, and that was, of course, a, a great relief. How many books do you see in the future, though, with Blomqvist? I will just Salam. write uh, one more. Yeah. There's publishing now because it's been such a success that they, you know, they're begging me to write five or ten or whatever. Yeah. But I've said many times that I will just make uh, write three, and then I will do something even more crazy. Maybe I had to go. Third. I mean, I had to to move on. Yeah. That's important for my writership. Yeah. Because I'm, I I respect many you know thriller authors that year after year write the same book. Mm. But I couldn't do that because then I you know would uh, you know lose my energy. So I will write one more, and then it's finished. The writer David Lagerkrans. Norway's Thomas Enger has often been compared to Stig Larsson. Danish newspaper Kristi Dagblad described Enger's book as filled with a language that sparkles and produces strong images with a pace that will take your breath away. But it hasn't been an easy ride for Thomas Enger. It took years for him to be published. But his first book, Burn, caused a literal sensation in Norway and was the beginning of a series featuring the journalist Henning Juhl as the central character. Here we get to visit Henning Juhl's Zen-like apartment. He lets himself into the flat after climbing three long flights of stairs, where the dust floats about the ingrained dirt in the woodwork. An appropriate transition to his home, he lives in a dump. He prefers it that way. He doesn't think that he deserves a large hallway, closets the size of shopping centers, a kitchen whose cupboards and drawers looks like a freshly watered ice rink, self-cleaning white goods, delicate floors inviting you to slow dance walls covered with classics and reference books. Nor does he deserve a designer clock, a Lilia Block candle holder from George Jensen, 
or a bedspread made from the foreskin of hummingbirds. All he needs is a single mattress, a fridge, and somewhere to sit down when the darkness creeps in. Because it inevitably does. After speaking with so many writers of Scandinavian crime, I began to wonder if they are a special kind. Without exemption, they have all been the most accessible, polite and patient lot. Are crime writers a special breed? Thomas Enger. Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, I have a lot of crime writer friends. We are very nice to each other and uh, and that is actually quite rare when it comes to writers, at least in the other genres. There is a lot more rivalry going on in those uh, genres for some reason. But uh, crime writers in Norway and in Scandinavia and in other parts of the world where I travel to talk about my books, I, I just meet very nice people. They know how difficult this is. And, and I guess that's kind of what bonds us together. And Norway is, of course, a very beautiful country. It's a rich country. But at the same time, there is evil taking place in Norway as well. So underneath this beautiful facade, people still find reasons to be uh, mean to each other. And that is a source of creativity for us, I think. You said that this genre is hard. What do you mean? Well, I think that writing crime fiction nowadays is extremely difficult because people have become very used to reading crime fiction or, or watching crime fiction TV series, for instance. So there is a certain expectancy that every time you publish a new book or you or you write a new TV series, it has to be really, really good. It has to have a plot that no one has heard of before or this twist that just comes out of the blue and, and just knocks you over the head. And it has to have characters as well that the audience haven't uh, seen before or read about before. So that, of course, raises the bar every time for us authors that, that we have to come up with something that's really, really original. I want to ask you a question that a lot of writers get. How do you get yeah. your ideas for your books? Yeah, yeah, that is a common question. And it's it's a very hard one to answer, actually, because I don't know. <laughs> and and that is the truth. I have absolutely no idea where my ideas come from. They just pop up in my head for some reason. I wish I could say something profound about this, but I really can't. <laughs> They just appear out of nowhere. But I think for me, the trick to be susceptible for ideas like that is, is just to be consciously looking for new ideas all the time. I'm always watching people talk, how they move, where they go, and I kind of just store that knowledge in my head for later use. It could be a scene in a book sometime in the future, or it could spark something when I'm sleeping or whatever. Uh, it, it, it really is a magical thing that ideas can just pop up out of Norway. Um, Out of um, Norway. Nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, out of Norway. Yeah. <laughs> you said that in the Norwegian society, it's a rich society, there's plenty of money, mm -hmm. but there's a dark side to it. Is that dark side something that you possibly could get inspiration from? A lot of this has to do with the climate, actually. The fact that we have very long and hard winters. Sometimes we don't even you know, get to see the light for months at a time, especially up in the north. And of course, that affects people. It makes them introvert somehow. They don't want to go out. And if you stay inside for a very long time, something happens to your mindset, I think. And it's also in human nature not to be happy all the time. Even the wealthiest people, people who uh, who win the lottery, for instance, and all of a sudden they become very rich. For some reason, it only lasts for about 30 days or something. And then they start to feel unhappy again. 
for some reason. So, yeah, there is a darkness, I think, to, to almost uh, any society. Is writer like actors, like, do you take in your mind your character Henning Yul and you become him and you write about society through the eyes of this character that you created? I definitely try to uh, sympathize or empathize with, with every character I write. I yeah. try to picture what it's like to be, be Henning Yul. I try to picture what it's like to be a killer or a politician. You certainly have to dive into different kinds of personalities. And that's one of the things that I really love about this job. It's, it's very fascinating to learn stuff about all kinds of, of, of characters and give them backgrounds and try to understand where they come from. When I wrote my first book uh, in the Handing Yule series, it didn't really involve that much research because I was writing about a character that was quite close to me. He was a journalist. He lived in Oslo. He lived in the exact same newspaper that I worked in and he walked the street that I walked and even shared a few interests that I had. So I based my main character quite a lot on my own life. Uh, quite soon I, I realized that I had to find out about the other characters uh, that were around him. For instance, he has a sister who's a secretary of justice uh, and I had no idea what it's like to be a female politician in Norway. So I, um, I went and asked one, and like I said, that's one of the very rewarding things about this profession is that I get to do stuff like that. I get to learn a lot about society and about all kinds of professions. Uh, but sometimes there are also topics that I need to research a lot. For instance, in, in Bern, the first novel, there is a young woman who has been murdered in what appears to be a Sharia killing. And at that time, I really didn't know that much about Sharia or Islam for that matter. So I spent a lot of time just trying to figure out the mindset of those who want the Sharia law to apply to the Norwegian society. You asked a female politician how it is to be a politician or a mm. female politician. What did she say? She certainly said that it's a lot more difficult to be a female politician than it is to be a male politician because for some reason the expectations are different. There is a lot more sexism going on, sometimes a very subtle sexism that you you have to have tough skin when you're a female politician because people whether they are are other politicians or or just the ordinary guy on the street will find a way to use your appearance against you for instance if you're a female politician and male politicians almost never get that and that's then got in your book yeah absolutely but thomas when you wrote your first book did you feel I've got to do something different from this long line of Norwegian crime writers that have come before me. I'm not sure if I was conscious that I wanted to, to go in a different direction. I just wanted to write a story that I would love to read myself. So when I got this idea for the Henning Yule character, I just knew that the idea was very good. And, and I spent about six months trying to figure out what I wanted to tell about this character before I before I actually started writing. And those six months, I think, was is one of the, uh, the best decisions I've ever made because I made all these plans and, and, and I really knew what I wanted to tell when I, when I first sat down and started writing. And I also made contact with some publishers in Norway before I wrote anything about Henning Hule. And I told them about this, uh, is this something that you might be interested in? And uh, very soon they invited me to a meeting and I told them more about this character and these stories that I've planned and... Uh, they, they just loved it. What was it that made them, do you think, say, yes, we're interested? The main reason for that is, is the main character, Henning Yule. He is he's a very strong character. I mean, he has lost his son in a domestic fire. He wasn't able to save his own son. 
and and of course he's very traumatized by that. He feels a lot of guilt. But he decides to go back to work as a journalist because he wants to figure out who set fire to his apartment. And that motivation, that drive, I think is, is something that the readers really respond to. We heard the author Thomas Enger. Thanks for listening to our Noahe This podcast series. The series was written and produced by me, Johan Gabrielsson. Technical production, Vlad Lachman. Camilla Hannan read from David Lagerkrans' book, The Girl in the Spider's Web. Alex Shedovich read from Thomas Engers' book, Burned. If you like what you heard, tell your friends and rate us on iTunes. If you missed any earlier episodes of Noir Hear This, they're all up there online on your favorite podcast app, ready when you are. Goodbye. SBS On Demand is the home of Nordic Noir Down Under. From genre-defining titles like The Bridge to the newest wave of Scandi thrillers, get ready to binge with over 20 of the genre's best titles, including Trapped, Midnight Sun, Dicta, Modus, Below the Surface, and more. Buried secrets, buried bodies. Unearth all the best Nordic Noir on SBS On Demand now. SBS is Australia's most trusted multilingual broadcaster. Our listeners are loyal, highly engaged and have supported countless local businesses. We offer advertising packages for businesses of all sizes. Our experienced sales team will guide you through the process of owning a great campaign. Bring your own ad or have our production team make you something in one of our 68 languages. Start the conversation with your new audience today. Email sales at sbs.com.au.